It's time for your local weekly analysis, Slow County Public Policy and the Law, with your host, Stu Jenkins. The Union Forever, boys down with the traitor, up with the star, while we rally around the flag, boys, rally once again, shouting the battle cry of Welcome to Slow County Public Policy and the Law, only on KNews FM 98.5. This is lawyer Stu Jenkins. Since 1978, I have tried several thousand Slow County court cases, and I have served repeatedly as Superior Court Special Master. Usually on this show, I bring on office holders, lawyers, and activists to talk about government actions shaping your lives. But today... We are doing something different to celebrate the 232nd anniversary of the ratification of the Bill of Rights. It is those rights guaranteed by the first 10 amendments to the U.S. Constitution that makes those civil debates over public policy possible. The Constitution itself had been ratified by the original 13 states on June 21, 1788, conditioned by several of those states on the new Congress presenting a Bill of Rights for ratification. Anti-Federalists, such as Virginia's Governor Patrick Henry, had chiefly argued against binding the nation together under the Constitution because it lacked a Bill of Rights, individual or collective rights. James Madison, who had opposed placing a National Bill of Rights into the Constitution, that he had been instrumental in drafting, compromised, promised, and delivered 12 proposed amendments to supply what Patrick Henry and his supporters claimed the Constitutional Act. The first 10 amendments became part of the U.S. Constitution on December 15th, that's December 15th, 1791, when the Commonwealth of Virginia finally acted as the last state necessary to ratify 10 out of the 12 amendments that had been proposed by Congress. I am pleased in my first hour today to discuss the history and meaning of the Bill of Rights 232 years after their adoption with constitutional lawyer Michael T. Nolan. Welcome to the show, Mike. Hi, Stu. Thank you for that nice introduction. But that was a very good introduction about the, the Bill of Rights and the, the history of their incorporation into the Constitution of the United States. Well, you know, I, you and I have uh, have worked on Bill of Rights issues, gosh, 45 years or so. I was actually kind of surprised today. I was looking back, found that James Madison actually proposed 17 amendments in Congress that got sent to the Senate, and of course the the Senate uh, thought, well, that's that's way too complex. <laughs> they, they cut it down some, but well, uh, true. I think as um, uh, Madison proposed that uh, the uh, freedom of religion and the freedom of the press, and maybe even freedom of speech, would be in separate. Amendments. Yes, and and in most uh, state uh, constitutions, they are separate. 
uh, provisions of their of their state bill of rights. But the Senate decided to put them all together into one. And and so we think of that as the First Amendment, but it was uh, when it finally came to the states, it was the third. Um, the first two um, actually had to do with limiting how many people were in congressional districts to no yeah. more than 45,000 people uh, and uh, making sure that uh, if you voted on uh, a raise in pay, you couldn't get that raise in pay until the next term uh, so that voters could uh, decide if they wanted to really reelect you after that vote. And uh, uh, over 200 years later, that amendment was actually ratified and is in the Constitution as Article 27 it is, amendment. It is the very last amendment right now in the Constitution. And the most recent. And it's, yeah. uh, I was reading the, uh, this amendment being second of the 12 articles proposed in the first Congress on September 25th, 1789, was declared by the archivists of the United States on May 18, 1992, <laughs> as having been ratified by 40 of the 50 states. Michigan was the last state to ratify it, wasn't it? I can't believe. Uh, in 1992? Yes. I think it was uh, New Jersey was the last state, too. Well, uh, According okay. to my Michigan next to last. Uh, well, no way. I'm, I'm looking at this. Yeah, Michigan no. is, and New Jersey both ratified it on the same day. Ah. And so it depends whether... Uh, so the archivists did it by alphabetical order, didn't they? They did it by alphabetical <laughs> order and uh, without taking into effect that New Jersey is in an earlier time zone. <laughs> the eastern time zone as opposed to the central time zone. And without taking have, into effect the fact that New Jersey was one of the original 13 colonies. That refused to ratify it in, um, in 1791. Um, I read here five states, six states ratified it in, uh, by 1791, um, but no other state ratified it until 1870. Ohio did in 1873. The the, uh, neat thing about these particular first set of amendments was there was no uh, deadline on when ratification could occur. Well, that's uh, the deadline is usually there is no deadline except uh, uh, Congress in most recent amendments have have put a deadline on it. Yes. So a number of uh, the, the more recent amendments, proposed amendments, have deadlines on them. The, the most famous was the Equal Rights Amendment, which um, had a seven-year deadline, and when the seven years was up, Congress extended the deadline. Uh, for several more years, and then when that deadline expired, there's been a recent move to try to revive uh, that amendment by giving states more time to to adopt it. Yeah. In fact, the the proposed amendment that would limit the size of congressional districts to 45,000 people still could be ratified. Well, it's still hanging out there, and I'm not sure that it is um, ever put in. What is it? Um, the proposal here says that 
after the first census, the proportion of Congress there shall be not less than 100 representatives, nor less than one representative for every 40,000 persons. Until the number of representatives amount to 200. After that, the proportion shall be regulated by Congress. Uh, so it might not make any difference at this point. Yeah, that there shall not be less than 200 representatives, no more than one representative for every 50,000 persons. Okay. Okay. So it could be, so in other words, it's a 50,000 person rule, which would, uh, um, well, you'd have a very large House of Representatives. You have about uh, 1,600 members of the House of Representatives, give or take. Something like that, and you'd have a tremendous electoral college then, too. So. <laughs> <laughs> but see, the, uh, actually, the first of, the very first amendment to the Constitution was at the Constitutional Convention, because, and it deals with uh, the uh, enumeration of people in each congressional district. And there was a long debate whether a congressional district a long debate in the Constitutional Convention, whether a conventional, a congressional district could be um, no less than 30,000 or no less than 40,000. And the 40,000 people won, uh, convincing the majority of the uh, uh, delegates voted for, uh, and the states voted for 40,000 and not 30,000. Well, Michael, if if memory serves, that was the population of Delaware. Uh, could be, <laughs> but but let me just at the wait, time. Let me, let me don't get me ahead of the story. Okay. So, so they have forty thousand, and at the day that so they wrote the Constitution on parchment, it was all ready to be signed. It had been approved, and it was about to be signed. All and right. at the last minute, the question was whether Benjamin Franklin would support or oppose the Constitution as written. Because he, he, he had kept his cards close to his vest, basically. Okay. Had, and uh, on the day, he gave a speech to James Madison to read, because Franklin claimed he was too, too tired and ill to give the speech himself. And so James Madison read... Uh, um, Franklin's speech saying that he would there was a lot in the Constitution he didn't like but he thought it was the best that they, but there was a lot that he did like and he thought it was the best that could be uh, drafted at the time and he hoped that um, if there were um, deficiencies in the Constitution it would be amended down the road so he uh, announced that he was going to support the Constitution. And, that, and Franklin still had the um, uh, you know, following and the charisma. He could have, he could have, he may have, might have been able to block the Constitution, at least in a number of states, if he had opposed it. Mm -hmm. So he gives that speech, and then one of the leaders of the group who had pushed for the 40,000 gets up and says, I've got one more. I've got a question. I've got one more thing. Before we formally sign and adopt the Constitution, 
maybe maybe come to think of it, maybe forty thousand is too big. Let let's bring it down to thirty thousand. And uh, the number of delegates you could read about what they wrote and said a delegates looked at that and they were flabbergasted that somebody at the last minute wanted to change the constitution. It had been in it was written in parchment. And um and before anybody could get up to protest, what happens? But George Washington, who's the president of the convention, uh, breaks protocol uh, because he didn't say he, as, pre- as the presiding officer, he didn't participate. He, he hadn't argued one way or another on anything at that point. He didn't argue, yes. He just, he just was the presiding officer. And at that moment, just as people were clearing their throat to get really upset at this guy's proposal, Washington chimes in and says, well, members, uh, if you forgive me, uh, I'd like to say a few, I know, I've, let me just say a few words on this matter. I've thought about it, too, and I think 40000 is too big, and, and we should reduce it down to 30000 And you could just, that just took the wind out of everybody's sails. Washington came down on it, and they said, okay, all right. And so they had to delay the signing because the um, clerk who had drafted it had to get what 18th century whiteout <laughs> and, and I, take I, I, the 40 I, out. That might be 18th century beige out because <laughs> it's all parchment. Really, he really had to replace it. And of course, 40 only had they only had to get rid of. 40 has less letters than 30, and so if you read the uh, text of the Constitution, the, the, uh-huh. the, 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 as it was written out on parchment, yeah, there's this little, it's 30 is squeezed in there. And um, I read the biographies of George Washington, and, you know, one thing George never did was um, get involved and make a, make so do anything out of the ordinary that, that might be embarrassing. He was a strictly go-by-the-book kind of guy. Uh-huh. And uh, that was his great strength. And it was so out of character for him to, out of the blue, say, yeah, yeah, we should, we should reduce this by 40 down to 30. And, and, the, and the, the person who proposed it was, had been the leader of the, let's do the 40, not the 30,000. Oh, my. Again, that was out of character. So that was technically the very first time the Constitution was changed. And I note here that, and you may appreciate this as a, someone who's been involved in politics, that 30,000 was the exact population of Philadelphia, Benjamin Franklin's hometown. And the thought has occurred to me that Franklin said that Madison, okay, I'll support the Constitution, but you've got to give me something, and the 40 down to 30, that would be okay. So that that's the one Philadelphia thing that's causing have, me problems. Philadelphia could have its own congressperson. Yes, without, without all sorts no. of Bucks County in these suburbs. <laughs> I just mentioned that. There's, no one has ever put that together, but that's... Um, I certainly get the idea that there was a little quid pro quo there that um, Benjamin Franklin, and of course, Franklin at the time says that uh, he can't give the, he can't talk because he's so ill, right? 
because uh, let Madison read his speech for him because he can't do it. But then the story is when he leaves the uh, after they've signed the uh, Constitution, he leaves, and someone asks, "Well, Mr. Franklin, is it a republic or a monarchy?" And he shoots back, "Oh, republic, if you can keep it," which certainly sounds more feisty than some old guy who just can't say. <laughs> <laughs> I suspect that was part of the deal. Okay. Well, you might you might be right, Mike. Well, now let's talk about the amendments that were ratified on the fifteenth day of December in seventeen ninety one. Um, and I I'm going to need Joe to give me how much time we have left because uh, Joe's our producer, folks. If you're listening, um, this is your host Stu Jenkins. I'm having a good chat with uh, Michael T. Nolan, a constitutional lawyer from the great city of Davis at this point, even though he's a native son of San Luis Obispo. Um, okay, we've got some time here. I, I, You know, we these amendments to the Constitution, the first, second, and third amendments, um, are, are important because they all have to do with, with one exception, they all have to do with individual rights. Um, and so in the First Amendment, it says, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press, or of the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Now that was, that had been actually uh, three or four separate amendments that had been proposed by James Madison, all plunked together into one by the uh, U.S. Senate. Um, Again, there's a political reason for that. Um, the the popularity of freedom of speech. Uh, and say the right to petition um, uh, that would help ratify the freedom of religion article idea. Well, and, and which, which, which uh, actually at the time, every single state had an established religion. Right, and there was always a, a you know a, a good uh, <coughs> um, um, North Carolina had a had a had a religious freedom. Uh, a provision in their state constitution that they had taken from pencil from the they had borrowed from Pennsylvania from 1776. Uh-huh. But as you read that constitution, it also goes in and says, "But but no papists, but are Catholics uh, or <laughs> papists, Turks or um, um, atheists, you know, can ever can ever hold the public office and and that goes off." So at one point, they have a very strong freedom of religion, but at uh, another point in their constitution, they make sure that's not going to apply to to Catholics or um, Muslims or um, uh, atheists, non-Protestants. <laughs> so at the, at the time, um, the inclusion of the um, prohibition against Congress Passing something to establish a religion or disestablish a religion had more to do with preserving for the several states their established religions. Yes, exactly. The people in Massachusetts were upset 
John Adams and the people around that were concerned that Congress would establish the Anglican Church, uh, make a federal religion, the Anglican Church, right. and mm-hmm. it would dominate over the... In Massachusetts, it was the Congregational Church, which, which eventually, uh, to a large degree, much of it evolved into the Unitarians, but... Um, the Congregational Church was, no, they're, they're established religion. And if you read the Massachusetts Constitution, again, they had a freedom of religion aspect to it, but then also any, if you wanted to hold any public office or be a juror, every oath of office, you had to swear, among other things, that you um, rejected the uh, spiritual authority of any foreign prelate in other words, any foreign bishop, which precluded Catholics from taking that oath, because um, the, the, in in the Catholic religion, the ultimate authority is the bishop of Rome, the pope. Yeah. And, well, and it, that, what, what's interesting to me is that uh, the 14th article that was proposed by by James Madison as a uh, amendment to the Constitution read like this which was very revolutionary at the time. No state shall infringe the right of trial by jury in criminal cases, nor the right of conscience, which is like religion, nor the freedom of speech or of the press. Actually, during the debates in the House of Representatives, Madison said that this was the most important one of his proposals because it would prevent states from infringing on individual rights. And that passed the House of Representatives, but when it got to the Senate, where, you know, there's two senators from each state, they said, oh, no, no, we're not, we're not going to let you take away our state's rights. And they, uh, they deleted that entirely. Yes. Yeah. Madison, though, is, a, of course, an interesting character because in the treaties, as Secretary of State, he, he uh, was the uh, uh, in, influential in negotiating the treaty for the Louisiana Purchase. And his- We're coming up on a hard break. Stay tuned, folks, to Slow County Public Policy and the Law and our celebration of the 232nd anniversary of the adoption of the Bill of Rights. Talk to you after this news. <laughs> 